All right. Apologies for the confusion. I found myself in a room due to this bug with zero people in it. Zero people. Not even me. I was like, do I exist? What is happening? Anyway, this is Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Very out of breath from walking to the other room and back. Um, Yeah, I'm a, a podcaster and journalist. I do some other stuff and appreciate you guys joining me this Sunday. Um, I want to talk a little bit. So mostly I'm just going to take your calls and we can talk about whatever you want. I wanted to do a little bit of an opening spiel about this idea of um, if I can get my notes to load, which I can't. Here we go. So uh, this idea of mass formation psychosis, this idea went viral after Dr. Robert Malone talked about it on Joe Rogan's podcast. The idea is basically that like a subset of us are, are sort of turning into zombies and we'll do whatever Fauci says or whatever the Democrats say, whatever the CDC says. Here's a direct quote from uh, an AP article sort of fact-checking it. Uh, this is a direct quote from Malone. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in the sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, and then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point – just like hypnosis, they literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. End quote. So Malone has no background in behavioral science, and he's just kind of pulling stuff out of thin air. There's obviously elements of truth there, like in times of crisis, people can be drawn to to strong leaders, stuff like that. That's just sort of common sense. But I think it's like a little, not a little, a, a big, really bad idea to attribute behavior we don't understand or don't like on the part of others to some sort of psychological flaw or hypnosis on their part. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, this also jumped out at me because like a huge, to the extent I have like a project, which sounds very condescending as I say it, but I do have some themes I return to in my writing and my speaking. And one of them is just that like human brains are human brains and they're flawed and there's no such state there are very few areas where it's like liberals have this deficiency and republicans don't or vice versa like we all have the same biases and tendencies and our brains all evolved in similar circumstances so i i don't really like anything that like picks out one group is like wow they're really crazy that's the only way we can explain this so i i do want to first grant like a couple kernels of fair points that i think are partly driving people's interest in the subject so i think some people are spreading the idea of mass formation psychosis because they really believe it but others are sort of doing it as like a fuck you to liberals making similar claims about conservatives so i think it's obviously true that mainstream outlets don't care about left-wing misinformation as much as right-wing misinformation i've been screaming about this for a while now and and there's a sense of double standards where there will be like fact checks of certain things on the right that you don't see on the left. And I, I wish mainstream outlets would do a better job of this. So I think you see some people basically, they like this because it's like there have been some lefty articles, uh, arguments about sort of Trump voters being crazy and, and pathologizing just the very idea of supporting Trump. I do think that's different from examining a specific conspiracy theory, which the idea of a stolen election is. I don't think people who believe in conspiracy theories are crazy. And I, I think that's a really important thing to realize is that people who do and believe radical things often are totally normal psychologically. This is something you learn very early on uh, if you you know, learn about psychology and conspiracy theories and political movements. So um, I think part of this is a response to like liberals doing the same thing. Uh, and I 
do think some liberals overestimate COVID deaths and COVID seriousness. And I think there's also research showing some conservatives underestimate them. It's really bad that every single new big thing that happens in this country is completely politicized. Like it, it just feels like every new big news event is getting worse and it should worry us that a very serious pandemic is completely politicized. And and I can tell you what a lot about what someone thinks about it based solely on the partisan affiliation, which is just a disaster from a public health perspective and like a science communications perspective. Um, I'll also grant that there are obviously some instances of overreach with regard to COVID. There's some bad local and national policies. Some people are freaking out and vastly overestimating the threat to them and their kids and, and so on. That being said, like living in Brooklyn, I'm just not seeing the level of general derangement. I see everyone accusing liberals of every time I go on Twitter and I live in like Brownstone, Brooklyn, which is supposedly one of the epicenters of this this madness. Masks uh, are generally required when people shop, and and vaccine cards are you know to sit in a lot of restaurants it requires a vaccine card. We can talk about when we should make that no longer necessary. But from my point of view, I can go to any coffee shop or restaurant I want and show my vaccine card, and then sit there without a mask for hours if I want. And I'll walk down a major street in Park Slope. And peek into every coffee shop, and there's a lot of people sitting there maskless. So I, I guess I'm confused at where all these people are who are um, freaking out. Like over the last five months, I've gone to a Patriots game. I guess that's outdoor, so not a great example. A Celtics game, which is indoor, two Broadway musicals, a packed concert in a small venue. If New York and Boston are out of control with COVID derangement, I, I, I'm just not seeing it. I know some people are, but my day to day life is has been fairly normal for a long time now, even since Omicron, as people realize it's um, more mild. The places I go to are not like shutting down again or anything that I know some places are. We should also acknowledge like this is a really complicated, difficult thing. I don't have a great grasp on the totals. I think in 2020, the CDC estimated there were 500,000 excess deaths due to COVID. 500,000. That is a big deal. And people are going to react to that in different ways. And there are not always easy answers about sort of the trade-offs here. Um, so I just think we should acknowledge that. And then finally, I just think like the idea of um, people going crazy and how crazy people are is completely overhyped by social media. Every time I go on Twitter, all I see are people at their worst. And this is what Twitter does. It makes us hate the other tribe. And I really think a lot of conservatives are getting in overstated view of how crazy liberals are and maybe the same way liberals will get an overstated view of how deranged the average trump voter is i say that as someone who doesn't really understand trump voters but I, this is what social media does and i think people who are too online we get our brains a little bit melted by all this like exposure to the outgroup at its worst oh michael tracy's here i want to i'm looking forward to arguing with him about this maybe arguing we'll see um I guess uh, what really bugs me is just like the bad faith nature of hurling this charge like selectively. If you think there's something called mass formation psychosis that can usefully explain liberal behavior with regard to COVID, why not use it to explain why so many people think Trump lost the election? How is that a less compelling example? That's a very specific belief. That's not overreacting to the threat of COVID. That's believing something that is completely false and that has been debunked forever. So let's just call anyone who believes in anything we find weird, uh, crazy, and psychologically damaged. I'm sure we'll make a lot of progress toward healing the nation that way. Where's the harm? I guess at the end of the day, humans are humans, and we are uh, – this famous psychologist used the term predictably irrational to explain our behavior. If you told me a couple of years ago that there was a pandemic coming and it was going to be politicized, 
I could have sort of, I couldn't have exactly predicted what would happen, but I could have told you like, these are the general outlines. The, if it's politicized one way, uh, liberals will, will overreact to it and conservatives will over underreact. If it's the other way, the other thing will happen. We see this with every area that's highly politicized. Illegal immigrants, conservatives overestimate how many of them there are and how many crimes they commit. Police shootings, liberals vastly by orders of magnitude overestimate, a lot of them do, uh, on average, how many unarmed black men are shot by police. Anytime something becomes politicized, people go a little bit crazy. The craziness is baked into our brains and to the nature of partisan affiliations. It doesn't make sense to posit new theories on the fly every time there's like something big and crazy happens and leads some people to overreact or underreact. All right. That's all I got. I'm done screaming at you, you people. Michael, Michael Tracy, the evil Michael Tracy. What's up? Hey, Jesse. Um, What's up, dude? Well, first of all, despite having conducted a number of these call-in rooms myself, I've never actually utilized the call-in feature, so I wanted to test that out. So thanks for being my... Um, Happy to be your guinea pig. Or you're the guinea pig, I guess. We're both guinea pigs, ultimately. Um, yeah, so I, I, was, I saw when you tweeted this earlier, and I, I guess my main complaint is not really so much that... Um, uh, doesn't stem so much from me being a proponent of this mass formation psychosis theory. Um, it's that, at least in the AP article, the rebuttal of the theory or the claim that it's not credible is portrayed as a quote fact check. Yeah, like it's AP has a fact focus. I don't know genre of reporters where they're purported. dude facts are super hot these days. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like so for for example, one of the things that they're claiming is not representative of mass formation psychosis is a tweet where somebody says, I mean, and they don't even name the person in the tweet. It's just just that it was circulated widely. The unnamed tweeter says per this AP article, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure healthy people spending hours in line to get a virus test is mass formation psychosis in action. Okay, so so they're debunking say- a random tweet. Well, yeah, but but let's say that you do think that perhaps this overwhelming drive for asymptomatic people to get tested, um, even if they're not experiencing, given that they're asymptomatic, any kind of observable illness, um, is rooted in some kind of psychological tendency that's been cultivated over the course of the past, you know, 22 months and that you think this kind of relates to a broader way in which that our perceptions of reality have been maybe deformed by an excessive focus on COVID. Let's say that's your view. I don't think that that view is necessarily conducive to rebuttal by, quote, fact-checking. Like, that's your interpretation of what you see to be an ill-advised uh, societal tendency. And so putting it through the filter of this kind of fact-checking mantra, I think, is ridiculous and probably only hardens people's resolve that there is something to this theory. And again, I wouldn't flippantly say that any COVID-related behavior that I view as maybe uh, irrational is somehow uh, necessarily connected to some broader you know, sociological construct that this guy Robert Malone is proposing, you know, like like you, I mean, I live in Jersey city and I, you know, I went bowling last night and, you know, it's not like everybody's crippled and immobile. Um, but you know, 
when I see long lines of people snaking around the block in the cold, standing there for a test that seems to be of somewhat dubious utility at this point, you know, I I do tend to kind of connect that to some. Um, so behavior has been cultivated, basically. Right, right, right. In an ira- in irrational direction. So if I were to just, so if I'm then trying to synthesize some kind of broader conception of what's happening here, and I'm told by you know these organs of journalistic authority that sorry, I've been fact checked, and I'm hereby you know not permitted yeah. to 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 uh, propose that theory. You know, I don't think that particularly makes sense. So anyway, that's just my my thought. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of that's reasonable. So I, I, I praised the article because I thought the actual content was good and they like quoted good people just on what we do and do know, don't know about the psychology. Uh, I, I just think, I, I think I'm okay like fact checking. He's proposing a theory, but it's actually a pretty crazy theory. He said people are literally hypnotized by their leaders and, and it's just not, maybe there's not enough there to fact check. I, I guess. I think the strongest argument you could make is outlets are very selective with which which items they choose to pluck out of obscurity and fact check in the first place. Uh, I agree with that. But, you know, on the issue of like long snaking COVID lines, it's just it's very human. People want certainty and they overestimate the amount of certainty one of these tests gives them. But like if you're traveling to see an old relative this is just the kind of shit people have always freaked out about. They don't like the idea of their family members getting sick. And it's, um, you know, it's the same with like a plane crash with people who I'm I'm flying tomorrow and and I'm always a little bit nervous about planes and I just can't get my brain to latch on to the fact that it's incredibly safe. So, you know, does that, does that make me crazy that I still am a little bit scared of flying? Is it useful to apply a psychopathology to that? You know, maybe there'd be if I never flew and if I missed family functions because of it. I guess I just don't see that we're, except with like a very small number of very online people. I'm just not sure we're at the point where we should be invoking theories of psychopathology, if that makes sense. Well, how about a more concrete example that is, I think, more harm inducing, which is, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, Chicago shut down its entire school system this past week um, at the behest of. The teachers' union. I, I know people will kind of dispute that, like the causality there. Well, they'll say, "Oh, no, it's actually the city administrator administration that shut down the schools because they're not offering the remote option." Whatever. The, the point yeah. is that schools were shuttered as a result, at least in part, of the Chicago teachers' union having certain ideas about proper COVID safety protocols that you could. I, I, I think at this point are not especially well-founded, right? Um, Particularly if they're evoking the safety needs of children who it's been pretty amply demonstrated face very low risk from COVID, particularly if if they're vaccinated. So, you know, if, if, if you think that they're like the driver of something that is as tangible and far reaching as shuttering the country's uh, third largest school system is, um, is connected to a psych- some kind of psychological defect that's been cultivated by 
public health leaders or political leaders or whomever, you know, I, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to kind of try to situate that into some broader uh, theory about how society operates. And, you know, because it's such a sprawling issue, you can always quibble around the margins about how to define certain aspects of it. But um, and I, 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 the, the ma- I wouldn't I, – I don't like the, the way that Malone or whoever else promotes this theory because – it kind of implies that anybody who is engaged in maybe some hyper-cautious COVID activity is themselves personally experiencing psychosis, Yeah, which I, I think is kind of, you know, first of all, just rude and like a denial of individual agency because they could think that they have perfectly well-founded reasons to be behaving in the way they are and they're not experiencing some yeah. type of psychosis. So, but, you know, I think you know, if you're taking a broader view and you see something like that happening, I, I don't think it's particularly wrong or conducive to fact-checking to kind of posit some sort of more uh, overarching uh, theory about what is driving this. That, I mean, that almost reminded me of, like, you do see these crazy campus stories where kids claim they're being traumatized by, like, uh, Condoleezza Rice coming to speak. And I, I just think... Um, there's probably a small set of kids who are really disturbed and have convinced themselves they are being traumatized, but it, you got to situate it within like this, the question of power. How do administrators react? And so in Chicago, you have a powerful union that thinks it's acting in the interests of its members. And I just think that's like a more useful way of understanding it than assuming they're actually gripped by this like deep, irrational feeling. But I guess that's like, there's no way to prove how much of it is just power and, and a, a union doing what unions do, which is, you know, saying they're working in their their members' interests versus people holding like truly outlying beliefs about COVID risks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but if they're acting in their if they're since I, I wouldn't I have no reason to doubt that the union is acting sincerely in what they believe to be its members' interests. But if there's mem- if their members' interests have been so distorted or their the members perception of what their interests are has been distorted around wrong-headed public health presumptions um then i think it's worth analyzing like what has caused those wrong-headed public health presumptions like or or why is their belief about their self-interest seemingly so irrational at this point yeah. Um, so, you know, no, no, and I, if people I'm want to say that. that it's a mass formation psychosis, okay, that's pro- probably strong language. I wouldn't use that because, again, I think it's a denial of agency for individual kind of actors. Um, but I don't think it's well, like out so outside the bounds of respectability that it has to be like banished into the realm of like, you know, debunked, fact checked, you know, debris. Yeah. Uh, no, I get your point. I, I, I think I would just rather put it in the same. Um, context as like every all other forms of misinformation why you know and we, we know I think in many cases how people become misinformed and it has to do with their media consumption environments and I do think if you watch if you have a diet of 100% MSNBC you will probably de- develop or have reinforced certain beliefs about the dangers of COVID uh, or, or 1-6 for that matter that you wouldn't otherwise I guess I just don't see that as like a, a process of um, psychopathology, but well, I don't want to impose yeah. my own mass psychosis on the entire room here. So exactly, I'll, I'll, I'll hang up. So take, take get care out of here. Everybody. Yeah, no, let's do this again. Sometime. Yeah, yeah. We should co-host something at some point. That'd be fun. Yeah, let's do it. All right, bye. All right, thanks, Michael. Everyone, check out Michael Tracy's Twitter account. He is a good follow, not just for his tweets, but for the rage he drives other people into. Hello, Jane. Hey, good morning. Thank you again for hosting this uh, another one of these so quickly. Um, 
do want to say just quickly to the last person and just in general, I'm a school teacher. It's not just children in a school building, Mr. Tracy. There's adults in the school building, too. That was a point I meant to make is like I, I, you do. Ha- yeah, you have to worry about the teacher's well-being, especially well, older ones, although with the vaccination thing. Well, yeah, definitely. But also, I mean, how are you going to run school without the teachers? You're just going to shove them in a room. Then it be- I mean, which I understand, actually. Unfortunately, school is also, let's be honest, it, it's childcare for a lot of parents, and that's a very practical aspect of it, and I understand that um, as a school teacher. And I feel very, very differently. The first part of the pandemic, um, now I'm in, a, in, I'm in a, a Trump area, so I'm in a town where people denied it, where the kids were saying, like, right when, when it was really starting to amp up before we shut down two years ago in March, um, you know, it's just the flu and they were kind of repeat, they were repeating, uh, right. if you want to talk about mass psychosis, they were repeating talking points that were clearly coming out of the Trump administration, which they favored and preferred. Um, and, and so I'm having the experience of being in a, bu- in a building where, um, and I'm not, I don't want to talk about kind of like culture war stuff, but our, my superintendent is, took, took the measures very seriously, which I was so thankful for especially leading up to the vaccination. Once I felt vaccinated, I was vaccinated, had the opportunity to be, I think it changed the game completely. Now I don't feel the same way I did as I did in the first six months. However, in the town that I'm in, um, in the summertime, people were, were going into each other's homes to get COVID from each other. And I had that on very, very good source So uh, live in a town of 2,000 people. And that's kind of the mindset you're also dealing with, which feels also to like, get, a like a chicken poxing to get intentionally infected. Yeah, they were calling them COVID parties um, and getting COVID on purpose. And so that's the other end of the spectrum that I'm dealing with. And then um, in terms of, you know, the, e- the evil union, if everyone's listening, yeah, I don't love my union. There's a lot of stuff about the union that I do not think it, it, it that it... Um, takes its its members um you know full interest at heart i think it takes a lot of our money and is very very politically powerful but um in in terms of health and stuff you I mean you got to realize the number of things that you are dealing with inside a school building um one thing that the superintendent did it, it so you've got this power play back and forth in a very very conservative community with a, a sort of like slightly centered left superintendent who understands that his role is always seen as very political. I really respect the man very much. However, sometimes he kind of pushes a little too far. So, if you are not vaccinated, you have to not only you have to wear a mask. We we all have to wear a mask, but you had to wear a face shield over the mask, and then you had you couldn't have lunch with anybody. So basically, and I was sort of asking around, I'm like, is that coming from the CDC? Um, and it seemed to be just sort of his own, his decider that he, because all of a sudden, a lot of people, you had to be, you had to be vaccinated in Oregon. And so unless you had a religious exemption or you had a medical reason, which you needed to provide proof for a medical reason, a religious exemption, it was on him to decide, right? So you're dealing with a very right wing community. And so he really had no other choice but to take every religious exemption. So suddenly all these people had found Jesus because they (laughs) didn't want to, you know, get vaccinated. He decided to put them in a shield on top of it. And that to me just was like, I I just thought, and I don't want to say too much because I don't want to be identified, but it's his last year here. And I think it's a big pushback against the community that was really not very good to him during COVID because he was very strict and he was, and I'm so glad he was, but the wearing the shield and then telling teachers that if you are not vaccinated, you cannot, you know, have lunch with anybody. 
to me set up a you, you, I can tell who's vaccinated and who isn't and it set up that 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 binary and that contrast within the building somebody even fought it somebody who himself had caught covid and like you caught covid and you got sick and you still aren't going to get vaccinated um but he then fought the whole the whole shield thing the face mask I got to say I I agree with him and my other colleagues because it does it does you're very conspicuous and and it's this idea that if you've not been vaccinated, yeah. you're somehow a danger to vaccinated people. I'm not, I don't know. Maybe you are because you're helping to kind of push the cases around. And if you get more sick, I suppose you are more contagious, if I'm understanding it. Um, I mean, but this is this is the thing where we're just dealing with risk levels that are so hard to understand and likely vary tremendously from person to person. I, I, I couldn't give you even a rough estimate of how much danger a non-vaccinated person poses to a vaccinated one other than that i think it's pretty low um but anyway it sounds like your superintendent the uh <laughs> must be a very difficult position to be in i would think so yeah yeah thank uh thank you for the call dan i appreciate it very useful to get those sorts of like on the ground insights ray what is up hey jesse happy new year and thanks for uh uh, taking my call. Um, at first, I didn't think that uh, my question, because you did announce, I think, at the first meeting, um, you know, talk about anything. I didn't think that my question was going to uh, fit very well with your opening statements. But after the previous two callers and yours, um, this might uh, add to some interest. So um, I am a K-12 educator, uh, but I'm also a union president of a local my interest and what I wanted to pick your brain about this morning was um, institution corruption and any work that uh, you may have done on this. Um, I'm just about through the quick fix. I don't think that book uh, addresses institutional corruption, but I'm, I'm curious what you understand are, you know, warning signs and caveats to avoid corruption my two institutions, K-12 education and teacher labor unions, and any remedies. And, and if, you're, if you don't have a lot uh, of knowledge, do you know about any, you know, a book or two that uh, could point me in the right direction? Um, so, okay, so the question is basically how to spot sort of institutional corruption or, or people right. veering from what their mission yeah. should be. Um, you know, I... I've, I think some of my book gets into that and, and there's definitely no easy answer. Part of it is because if you, if you identified a person as a source of corruption, they of course would say, no, I'm just, I, I have the kids best interest at heart. I have uh, teachers best interest at heart. What one surefire sign for me, that's like a big red warning flag is, um, you know, I, I write about certain issues where I, I will read releases from the American Psychological Association or, or other big or the ACLU or other big professional groups. I, I do think when they start to issue communications in a certain argo and they start using certain stock phrases, uh, especially in regard to complicated, multifaceted issues, that that always tells me, like, there's really core level of activism or ideology mm. driving the process. E even something as little as just like, this is a silly and maybe too controversial thing to say, but when, when institutions just start inserting the word white supremacy, every other right. sentence, even in situations yep. where it doesn't apply, that, that tells you that the people sort of controlling the communications have certain beliefs that they're trying to insert into things. So that's unfortunately the most concrete advice I can give to you. I mean, I want to get to other callers, but what kind of, give me an example of the kind of corruption 
Well, uh, my union, uh, 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 James, the previous caller talked about, you know, kind of, I think that based on what she was saying, I believe that she still pays union dues. She's kind of upset about the direction. I don't know whether she's always been upset. I mean, here it is. I'm a local president. I'm paying dues, but I have become upset. And in part, um, the infusion of that word, you know, that, that, that you just use white supremacy culture, my state organization, this is all that we're about now. Yeah. The bread and butter issues are completely gone. All it is now in the, for the past two years, although the warning signs now that I look at it in retrospect were there for the past, you know, five or six years, I just didn't recognize what was going on. But now the past two years, it's all about, we are an organization that's going to fight racism that is embedded baked into everything about America. And that's, that's, that for me is like yeah. the big concern in, in terms of the institutional corruption, which I guess then gets back to your point about the veering away from whatever the original mission was, uh, you know, or, or the, the telos of our organization. Now we have this third pillar, which is, uh, um, you know, fighting or uh, social justice. So, and and you're saying maybe a uh, a local school system is not going to be able able to effectively dismantle white supremacy in the United States. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Perhaps. No, I look. I, I don't envy you, and I think it's tricky because what you see happen, what I think happens in a lot of institutions that become about everything rather than about the thing they're supposed to be about is, you know, a small group of people can push it in that direction, yep. and then as soon as you push back and you say you know, uh, look, our test scores suck or, or we need to get kids back in school, you'll be accused of not caring about white supremacy or of being racist. Exactly. And that's the tactic. I, I think some of this happened, some of this can partly explain the, the Virginia gubernatorial race, uh, just this yep. idea of, of school boards in Loudoun County and elsewhere not really caring about most uh, parents' concerns. So I have very little advice for you other than uh, I'm sorry you're going through that. And uh yeah, sorry. I appreciate man, really I, I appreciate what you've shared, uh, and I just appreciate your work. Anyways, um, I will hang up and listen to everybody else. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, feel free to come back and give me an update yeah. uh, if things progress further. Gabby, how's it going? Hey, Jesse, it's your old friend Bromsky calling you from Tel Aviv. We have a saying here in Israel that I think might apply there in the states. To make a right winger man, what's up? You you uh, you lie to him, and to make a left winger mad, you tell him the truth. So what am I getting at? <laughs> you know whether the <laughs> left is crazy about COVID or not, they're liars. Like, um, you know, like like nine, not like like uh, January sixth was supposed to be terrorism or something. Even Ted Cruz says this. It it, it was a riot. It wasn't an insurrection, all this. Everybody knows this. But to be on the left, you have to, I hate to use the term virtue signal, by, by showing that you're willing to lie uh, all the time. Um, oh, a man is a woman if he wears a dress and tells you to call him uh, by their pronouns. But these are, these are lies. The whole thing about being on the left is, is being willing to lie and showing that you're um, willing to lie to be a part of the but but how do you account for the the entire gop like every serious gop candidate now has to they can't say out loud that donald trump lost the election isn't that a, a very consequential lie well 
okay, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit. But look, he lost the election. A little <laughs> look, bit. Everyone knows he lost the election. The Trump kind of lied. Well, but this is but point. this is my point. No, but but yeah. but remember what we all know. Trump is an honest liar. And when the right lies in the way you're saying, I get what you're saying. They know they're bullshitting, and everyone knows they're bullshitting. To be on a, the left, you have to pretend to believe your own bullshit. So you go and do all this Omicron kind of craziness when Omicron is is basically harmless. You see what I mean? But the right lie. But do you think the people in the right? So. Do you think the people who rioted and and came into the Capitol they didn't actually think Trump had won? They were just it was like performance art. That was a group of idiots. It was a few hundred people who went in. It was thousands, I guess, who were protesting. Protesting was fine. I think protesting was even virtuous because, in a lot of ways, the election was rigged. Not in the conspiracy theory way, but in the way of so much negative media coverage of Trump not letting um, Biden's computer stuff on. And there was a lot of shenanigans. So to protest was the American way. To violate our sacred um, uh, capital was disgusting. I think you and I both know these are like subnormal morons wandered around, not knowing what to do, wearing funny costumes. They were not terrorists. Terrorists are people who blow shit up. I'm talking to you from, from Israel where terrorists... Sure. I think, I, I think I'm just challenging the idea that it sounds like you're saying both sides lie, but one side lies, one side lies in earnest, so we should focus on that side. I guess I'm just not sure what procedure we should I'll, use to determine... I'll clarify for you. I'll clarify it, because I think you see what I'm saying, actually. The people who lie and don't quite want to admit it to themselves, the leftists, they go crazy to use this word that you brought up, very interesting topic today. Like wearing masks. Masks don't do anything. And 95s are good. Those work. But the cloth mask in this, look, I knew it from the start when Fauci told us not to wear masks. Then we were supposed to wear two masks. Get vaccinated. I've been triple vaccinated. I got a friend who's quadruple vaccinated over here because he has um, whatever conditions. But masks are bullshit, and Omicron is like the flu. It's at worst. So, yes, what I want to contribute today is just to say that crazy right-wing lies, everyone knows they're crazy right-wing lies. Left-wing lies are meant to be uh, taken seriously. But, you, but you, you, keep, you, you keep saying that, but like I just listened to <clears throat> to say everyone knows their lies when there, there's been a pretty big effort by Trump to – change who is in what position he's basically supporting uh people running for office locally like secretaries of state and stuff to ensure that you know if he runs again or a republican runs again they will tilt things in his favor at, at what point am i supposed to say well no they're just they don't really believe that they're just acting as though they believe it and as though they want to influence policy in that direction I, i'm just not sure yeah. well now that's a very good point too in that respect i have to say Unless we can get Trump back in office or um, Nikki Haley or some some Republicans, we are going to have forever the kind of government that forces us to censor our speech and pretend that men are women and women are men and and Omicron is. But aren't a bunch of state state Republican to do to do what we can 
within reason to elect Republicans, I think. So Okay. All right. I think we disagree on that. Um, just because uh, to me, there's a bunch of state laws being proposed by re- Republicans trying to clamp down on what professors and teachers can say. And I'm against that. But I, I appreciate no, no, the. No, uh, I'll, I'll let you go because I never had the college. But the CRT, by the way, they really should should abolish that. I, I'm for free speech. But CRT, Jesse, just I leave you with this thought. It's harmful lies you can call it brainwashing you can call it insanity. so we should ban speech that is harm that is harmful in your it view really fucks with kids minds to tell them crt think about it okay. later on when you have a free moment it says that we're a bunch of racists and america's a bad country and come on you know what it says man it is not good for kids and we're not supposed to teach kids what's not good for them i love you i love katie i love your whole thing i i got more interested in andrew sullivan thanks to you and we disagree on a lot, and I love you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for the call. Colin, what's hey, up? Hey, Jesse. Uh, I think everyone lies, but I hate everyone. So it's I'm, I'm an equal opportunity hater. Um, you, you're somebody I, I trust a lot on the trans stuff, and I had this nice, nice uh, question queued up for you on the trans thing, but, but now I'm going to talk about robert malone unfortunately (laughs) um i listen i listened to the rogan podcast with malone um start to finish and i disagreed with him about a lot of stuff i think he's he's a little out there after he went on rogan he went on Infowars and sort of leaned further into the crazy in ways that i think are probably instructive um yeah but i i also disagree with ap's approach in this um so like i say i i, I hate everybody um you mean the fact the fact the checking approach but also that they they took the opportunity to uh take this idea of um take this idea that that malone was pushing and discredit the idea of group think and mob mentality um just as an aside and i'm not sure i'm not sure that it was kind of flippant how they did that. Like even in this conversation, we can talk about how you can, you can, you could kind of predict the way certain things were going to go. If there was going to be a politicized pandemic, um, from, from the different political sides. And that's kind of a form of group think or mob mentality or, or there, there are ways that there's a diffusion of responsibility and large crowds that lends into mob mentality. But, I think the the groupthink uh, idea is thrown at the left a lot, and they just sort of thrown it in there as a discredited psychological phenomenon. And I, I just it made me uncomfortable reading that that they just flippantly threw that in. I I would ask them how they ex- explain things like Jamestown, or even maybe to a lesser extent the Rwanda uh, genocide. Yeah, I so. My understand I, I don't I'm not that up on this stuff. I think some of the more maximalist accounts of like a group mind during a riot or, mm-hmm. or in a crowd or like deindividuation where you just don't feel like yourself, you feel like you're a member of a group. I think there's been some debunking there. I actually just finished an amazing, very long podcast series about about Jim Jones called um God Socialist on the Martyr Made podcast. I, it's it's the best thing I've listened to in a while. I can't recommend it enough, except for Blocked Reporter. Blocked Reporter is much better. <laughs> um, it's without getting too into the details. 
the the Jonestown massacre was the end result of a huge amount of like actual grooming, not grooming in the Twitter sense, but grooming in the sense of cultivating a group of people who will do crazier and crazier shit for you because there were just a lot of very troubled, ill people there. So I think it's a little bit more complicated than like, I'm going to do what the group does. But um, I get what you're saying that, that you could sense in that AP article sort of, an over eagerness to present certain things as debunked that haven't been fully debunked. I think that's a fair. Yeah. And, and something else that, that sort of bothered me. I'm not sure if you saw the astral codex, whatever his name is now. Scott you know I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, he, he had a short, uh, column about, um, sort of a, high, a low bar of, of headlines that say no information for, no evidence for everyone should no, read his. No, I think yeah, it was sorry, a public no post. For, yeah, he, it's yeah. it's a really good piece of about science. Well, it's sort of philosophy of science mixed with science communications. It's basically just saying that the phrase "there's no evidence for X" could mean a million different things, including you could say accurately, "there's no peer-reviewed uh, published evidence that." parachutes will prevent you from crashing to earth if you jump out of a plane so right it it's could a really good there's read. no positive or negative evidence for it and that just sort of uh that the the articles debunking this this concept didn't clear that hurdle for me which is just kind of an aside no i think that's fair um yeah thank you colin those those are definitely fair points all right thanks jesse have a good day hi jesse how are you I'm doing good. So my first question would be, if you were going to have a solemn day of remembrance, what Broadway musical uh, song would you like to hear to really underscore how uh, important the day is? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I'm not enough of a Broadway aficionado. I, did, I saw one called Caroline or Change. It's a Tony Kushner one. It's really good. Let's, just, let's go with one from there. I can't say Hamilton because Hamilton's not hip anymore. We're supposed to hate Hamilton now. <laughs> Well, I would go with Fan of the Opera to really underscore how scary and traumatic uh, the day was. There we go. I appreciate that. So I, I do have a general kind of question for you, and I guess it kind of overlaps with COVID, even Jonestown, and like uh, Gen 6 kind of stuff is, how much do you think it is people's inability to just admit that they're wrong and to kind of dig deeper into it? Because thinking about like Jonestown, like they're, like and even just other kind of cult documentaries, all of the people who get interview form later on are like, I can't believe now that I did this, but at the time it just felt so right. And I just kept, even as like, I knew it was getting crazier. I just kept digging in because I wanted to believe in it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's totally right. I, I think there's, it's not just like, oof, I was wrong. How dumb was I? It's also that oftentimes your beliefs are associated with people or movements you care about. So to turn your back on the belief is to, in many cases, I mean, cult is the most extreme example because you would have to physically leave. But um, just day-to-day life, we hang out with people who share our beliefs. And to reject a really important belief, you're, you're threatening your relationships with them. Um, I'm not like as up as I should be on the research, but at Yale, there's a social cognition lab, I think it's called, that was founded or is run by a guy named Dan Kahan, who's um, a legal scholar. He does really good work on that. But yeah, no, I think I think if you consider if you tie in to not being wrong about something, the ramifications of being wrong and how it could threaten your connections. I think that's absolutely right. Well, yeah, connections and even like the political sense, like admitting you're wrong is basically, I guess, fodder for the other side and that kind of Michael Hobbs view. I just think there's a kind of poison where people are willing to continue doing something that is proven to be 
an effective or actual not work just because to admit that you're wrong kind of gives your enemies credence that, oh, uh, this person was wrong. Why can't you, you can't really trust them anymore. I mean, I, I, I'm biased because I really dislike Hobbes's output when I've heard of it and I can't stand his Twitter persona. There's, there's some, I don't want to say personal belief beef there because it's Twitter beef, but he's pretty explicitly said that, um, in deciding what to believe and what to say is true, we should consider like, what if conservatives use this against us? And I, what, what yes, yeah. because we, it, it's just lack of principles. You should have principles that like saying, stating like what you kind of believe it to be true is otherwise. Like, I mean, yeah. how can we, uh, in all like kind of good faith say that like when Republicans are being craven and like uh, amoral, if we're going to be doing the same kind of tactics, it just, doesn't sit right with me no i mean i i appreciated hobbs and and the quotes i'm referring to are from the episode on matthew shepherd um he says very explicitly what a lot of people believe which is that our sense of the truth should be influenced by what if the other side uses this which is just so like you're saying corrosive to a shared understanding of reality and and um it's really bad. And he, he uses the Matthew Shepard case and like the Michael Brown shooting as, as examples of that. The other thing is like, so in the case of the Michael Brown shooting, you, you have the officer who shot him, who either will face life changing and effectively life ending legal ramifications, or he won't. And surely we have some interest in delivering a just outcome there to throw up our hands and be like, well, it'll be giving fodder to conservatives to say Michael Brown didn't have his hands up. Uh, Anyway, I think we're on the same page, but uh, yeah, these are good points you're making. All right, thanks. Uh, all right, I'm going to take Andre's call. I, I have to get off after that. I feel bad. This has gone longer than I thought. I'm just I'm traveling tomorrow, and I'm behind on so much stuff. So make it good, Andres. A lot of pressure. Hey, so I uh, I had a few questions, kind of to follow up on like the line that you guys were talking about earlier. So I think that idea about like. Um, you know, not wanting to admit something because the other side might use it, like, seems to be, like, very common, like, throughout a lot of discussions. Like, yeah. for example, I feel like that was kind of, like, a lot of the debate with, like, masks. So, kind of, like, other people have mentioned cloth masks really, like, weren't, like, a good medical recommendation to make. But it was, like, almost as if admitting that they didn't work up until now, people wouldn't understand or, like, would give credit that, like, masks don't work at all. You know what I mean? So I guess I was wondering, like, yeah, I feel like that line of thinking is kind of like applied to so many different things by people that might not even necessarily like know that they're applying that logic, but it's almost like a prior that goes into like reading certain events. And I feel like maybe you mean, do you mean the belief that if, if we say this, people might interpret it yeah. in this way? Yeah, I no, it's definitely true. To me, the worst example of that is like journalists do that all the time. Yeah. You regularly see this very um, paternalistic, condescending thing where, where, you know, we can't tell people exactly what happened because then they could misinterpret it and that could lead them to bad reactionary beliefs. So we need to shade the truth a little. And like you're saying, no one will say this explicitly. I just think it's self-evident from a lot of news coverage. Right. And I feel like, I mean, I guess in the sense of like how that affects like bias and like how you pick that up. I feel like if that's the only slant or like possible, like worldview or interpretation that you have of events or like you're only being presented that distilled version, like it like leads someone maybe to then like on their own, apply that line of thinking. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've encountered examples of this. I hate to 
bring trans issues into everything, but mm-hmm. we, we have no idea in an American context how many people detransition, like in right. circa 2020, 2021. So people will endlessly recycle these old or generally invalid studies that don't answer that question and treat them as truth. And I think the way reason they're doing that, activists and journalists alike, is they need to see the quote-unquote right beliefs in people or they will become evil right-wing bigots who think everyone's detransitioning. And that's just as activists are going to activists, like it's sort of their job to skew the truth, frankly, but as a journalist, I just find that uh, reprehensible. Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like one of the areas where I kind of see that is just like this general line of thinking of like some things you shouldn't measure. And it's almost like, you know, we come to like find all these great tools and like ways to assess outcomes. Like for example, like the like standardized tests. Right. And yeah. then, um, over time, like, you know, that that's, that's a good tool, because now you've identified an inequality. And now you can try to like, figure out, well, how do we like help with that, right? Because ideally, it gives you like, standards to go to, it gives you like a, like a direct, it's a, it's a symptom. Yeah, it, it's just like, if one group is not doing well, that's a symptom. Right. It doesn't mean yeah. it's interesting but how, it's... like, there's, it was just like a super prevalent attitudes in the early 2000s with like Bush's you know, push for like education reform to be like, you know, we should aspire to these ideals. And there's a lot of like shortcomings, obviously, to no child left behind. But it seems like instead of like, being like, all right, well, how do we fix it? Like, we still know that this is a problem. Like, we've tried this thing. So now we have learned more, right? I kind of feel like the standard now has been like, let's go back because now most colleges don't even require those scores. So it's like, how are we going to know if we're not measuring it in the future? I think there's got to be a space between let's fire teachers in low-income neighborhoods for not turning, you know, their troubled kids from rough backgrounds into geniuses and let's just not do standardized testing at all. So I am with you. Uh, Thank you for the call. Really good points. Of course. Matt, I feel bad, but um, if you, next time I do one of these, if you send me a message and hop in, I'll bump you to the front of the queue. I'm just, um, I got to grind on some stuff to to get done today before I fly tomorrow. But thank you guys all for listening. I thought this was a really good conversation and there was some useful pushback that I think made me, um, arguably slightly smarter <laughs> so i appreciate that uh as always i would just ask you to spread the word about the show get more people to sign up get more people to join the rooms and uh i hope you all have a very pleasant sunday